week, you know, we were gone. Uh, we were in Florida. So nice. Uh, if you've never been to Florida in March, I totally get why Disney tickets are more expensive in March because Florida is actually great in March. There's like no mugginess. It's beautiful. Uh, but we were there for a conference as well as a little bit of time uh, for rest. We uh, are, we have a wonderful community of pastors in the area that we regularly gather with once a month. And uh, we were hanging out with two of them uh, they each pastor local churches here in Kansas City, uh, and they just were asking us how we were doing probably about a month ago, and we just like threw up on them. Have you ever had those moments where like someone asks you how you're doing, and you're like, Wah! like horrible, right? And they looked at us, and they were like, when did you take a vacation last? And I was like, oh gosh. I did not want you to ask me that question. Uh, long story short, they convinced us to tag on a f like four days to the trip we were already taking for work. Um, and it was just such a wonderful time of rest and relaxation for Alex and I. And so thanks to the team that kind of took over while we were gone. But I say all of that to say that sometimes for us to uh, connect with Jesus, for us to have moments where we once again are reminded of his very near presence, we have to get away. And that is the beauty of retreats. I know Jake and Alicia stood up here and talked a little bit about marriage retreat. And for those in the room that are single, you're like, what about me? Um, we actually have a retreat that's going to be in the fall as well. Uh, it's going to be called Spiritual Renewal Retreat, in which anyone can come to um, and will be focused on uh, specifically stepping back and making a bit more space for Jesus in our lives. So, uh, you know, if Alex and I need a little bit of rest and reflection, I'm sure you do too, and I would really encourage that you sign up for that. The marriage retreat is in June, uh, June 22nd through the 24th, and the Spiritual Renewal Retreat is um, September 28th through 30th. We're going to get that on the website this week if you want to go ahead and RSCP for that, okay? Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. If I didn't introduce myself, my name is Cassie. My husband, Alex, and I lead pastor this church together, and it's so good to have you here if you are new. Uh, this morning, I would like to start with a few quotes from our Rabbi Jesus that if we were being really honest, we not only dislike, but we fundamentally disagree with. You ready? Luke chapter 12, verse 15, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Luke 12, verse 33, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Matthew chapter 19, verse 24, again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. But Jesus, what about retirement? Like, haven't you heard of the social security crisis? What about a home, right? For my children or my soon-to-be children, what about college? That's real expensive. Healthcare, I need that. But Jesus, what about paying my bills? Am I supposed to just sit around all day and pray, right? Jesus, doesn't money help me enjoy life more? If you're confused, I get it. I am too. I often read these teachings of Jesus. They are plentiful. 
and find myself asking some of these very practical questions. And if these verses don't sit well with you, you're not alone because it doesn't sit well with most of the people living in the United States. And today, I would like to propose that's because we have believed in a gospel that is very different from the gospel of Jesus, whether we've done so intentionally or accidentally. The gospel of Jesus states that Jesus is fully available to all, regardless of income or status, and that Jesus is all that we need. Whereas the American gospel makes the exact opposite claim. It states that the more we have, the happier we will be, the more respected we will be, and stuff is all that we need. And we see this gospel everywhere. To be happy, I need a better car. To be happy, I need a bigger house. To be happy, I need to have an Insta-worthy apartment, for those of us that live in the city, right? To I need to get a raise, the bonus, and the promotion at work. To be happy, I need the trendiest clothes. To be happy, I need the new furniture. And to be happy, I need the Peloton bike I will never use so that I can look like Michael B. Jordan in Creed 3, right? <laughs> Thank you, Caleb. The French sociologist Jean Baudrillard argues that atheism hasn't replaced Christianity in the U.S. Shopping has. Theologian Soren Kierkegaard puts it this way, when we lose our divine center, our source of security, we have an insane attachment to things. And this insane attachment to things is directly tied to the anxieties that plague us on a regular basis. When we really think about it, money and stuff and possessions and things are the root of many of our work anxieties, our parenting anxieties, our marital stressors, our family arguments, our friendship difficulties. And the more stuff we have, the more we have to do, and thus the more we have to worry about. More cars, more repairs, higher insurance. Bigger house, more rooms, more to clean. Bigger kitchen, more dishes, more to wash. More clothes, more laundry, more piles. More technology, more maintenance, more time. And modern day research actually backs this up as behavioral scientists and medical researchers have correlated the increase in wealth with an increase in clinical anxiety, depression, and suicide rates. The higher your economic status goes, the lower mental health generally goes. And we find that this American gospel that we have so readily believed, that's been ingrained into our very heart, mind, body, and soul from a young age is all wrong. It's completely backwards. More money does not equal more happiness. And we find that the more money we have, the more problems arise. Or as the notorious B.I.G. say it with me, more money, more problems, right? 
And maybe this is why we're so stressed out. Like maybe as a society, this is why we are more anxious than we have ever been before. And this leads us to our main idea for today. The problem isn't just stuff. It's also the place that stuff occupies in our hearts. You know, for the last several weeks, we've been in a sermon series entitled Life in the Wilderness. And as we've learned, this metaphor of wilderness is often used in conjunction with the Lenten season, right? Just as Jesus fasted 40 days in the wilderness, so we fast as well. And we don't only reflect on the wilderness Jesus experienced in the desert in that 40 days during Lent, but we also reflect on the wilderness or the wasteland that Jesus experienced as he sat on that cross. And Lent, therefore, it's an invitation for us to become acquainted with not just the God of the mountaintop, but the God of the valley. Ultimately, this practice is really helpful Because when suffering inevitably crashes into our lives, we're able to access or become aware of God's presence because we've practiced it. We've practiced recognizing God's presence in our wilderness annually through Lent, year in and year out. Furthermore, when we fast, when we abstain, when we live life in the wilderness and we strip away all the things that we desire to make more space for God, we quickly come to face come face to face with our real true desires. Our real God, the thing that has its firmest grip on our heart. And I would venture to guess it's probably money, stuff, things, possessions. And that's why we're talking about it today. You know, it's a myth that the Bible is ambiguous when it comes to economic issues. In fact, we see it challenged near, we see the Bible challenge nearly every economic rule, spoken or unspoken, that our current society embraces. I'm going to give you a couple examples. We'll start in the Old Testament, and then we'll move into Jesus' teaching. Leviticus chapter 25, verse 23 actually tells us that we don't have the inalienable right to private property. That everything, including belongs to God and cannot be possessed forever. The Israelites regularly participated in a year of jubilee, a celebration that happened every seven years in which they were required to forgive all debt, paid or unpaid. Can you imagine if after seven years they forgave your college student loan debt? It would be amazing. Year of Jubilee, right? The 10th commandment given to Moses is against covetedness or the inner desire to lust or have more. Isn't it interesting? This always leads to either stealing or oppression. The psalmist counsels in Psalm chapter 62, verse 10, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. Similarly, the wise sage and the author of the Proverbs in chapter 11, verse 28 says, he who trusts in his riches will wither. And I'm going to switch mics now. Mic switch. See how smooth that was? And Jesus, 
He not only agrees with these teachings from the Old Testament, but he furthers them. He declares war on the materialism of his day, and I would venture to guess the materialism of our day. And thus, Jesus has a whole lot to say on this subject. But before we jump into Jesus's teachings, I want to warn you, I'm going to be going through a lot of scriptures. So if you want to use that QR code that's on the back of your seat, or if you want to follow along on the screen, that's great. We'll get to our main passage in a little bit. But the reason why I'm flipping through so many teachings is because Jesus talks a whole lot about this topic. In fact, I don't think we have enough time today uh, or the rest of this week to fully delve into all he has to say on money. So we're going to scratch the surface today, and for the purpose of this sermon and our time, I'm going to organize Jesus's teachings into two problems and one solution. Two problems, one solution. Problem one, the inward stuff. Remember our main idea for today, the problem isn't just stuff. It's the place that stuff occupies in our heart. Jesus was very concerned with the inward idol of money, stuff, possessions, and things. He says in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, no servant can serve two masters. You cannot love God and love money. In other words, are you worshiping money with your heart? He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 20, and then verse 24, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. Is God's kingdom ruling your heart, or is comfort your king? In Luke chapter 18, verses 18 through 33, Jesus graphically depicts the difficulty of the wealthy entering the kingdom of God by comparing it to a camel who walks through the eye of a needle. He emphasizes the unimaginable grip that money has on our hearts. So much so, it's hard to even fathom what a camel walking through an eye of a needle would look like. Finally, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 62, verse 21, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can't say it more plainly than that. To summarize this first set of teachings, this first problem of the inward stuff, Jesus was very concerned with the disposition of our heart. So much so that over and over and over and over and over again, he gives the word money a lower G God name. But lest we think Jesus was just concerned with our heart, he was also very concerned with our literal stuff, which leads us to problem number two, the outward stuff. You know, I think a lot of the times for those of us that grew up in church, maybe you would hear a whole lot about, it's it's what's inside that counts. It's what's inside that counts. And yes, it is what's inside that counts. That's important. Jesus cares about our inward disposition, but he actually really cares about what's outside too. Both what's outside and inside counts. And Jesus instructs that we must literally get rid of possessions to enter the kingdom of God. 
He says in Luke chapter 12, verse 15, take care and be on your guard against all covetedness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Your tombstone should not read he or she had a lot of stuff. In Luke chapter 12, verse 33, he counsels those seeking God to sell all your possessions and give to the needy. Let me assure you, this is not metaphorical. This is literal. Maybe slightly hyperbolic, but very much real. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, Jesus tells the parable of the rich farmer whose life centered in hoarding. But Jesus calls him a fool for storing up so much on earth. We would probably call him prudent. He states in Matthew chapter 13, verse 45 through 46, that if we really want the kingdom of God, we must be like a merchant in search of fine pearls, being willing to sell everything we have to get those pearls. Again, not just simply a fun story, a command. And finally, he calls all those who follow him, his disciples, to have joyful and carefree lives and to be unconcerned with possessions in Luke chapter 6, verse 30. That's you, and that's me. So summary, problem number two, the outward stuff. Jesus cared very much about the physical things. Not only the disposition of our heart, not only what was inside, but what we have and what we hold. He cared about the inward and the outward. And at this point, some of you may be thinking, I myself have thought this many a time in my life, well, Jesus can't be referring to me because I'm not rich. I don't own the Tesla. I don't have a mansion. I don't make the six-figure salary. There's no way he's referring to me. Here's the reality, though. If you make more than $25,000 a year, you're in the top 10% of the entire world's population. If you make more than $34,000 in one year, you're in the top 1% of the whole world. I would venture to say the majority, if not all of us sitting in this room, are in the 1%. Jesus' teachings very much apply to every single one of us in here. And so the question then becomes, what do we do? Like, are any of us in this room making it? Being some of the richest people in the world, do we have any hope in Jesus' kingdom? But remember, we don't just have two problems. We have one solution. Turn to Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 33, the scripture that was just read so beautifully by Joe. Uh, as you're flipping there, you're going to note, uh, it's super interesting, this passage, in verse, starting in verse 25, actually comes right after Jesus has spent six verses talking about money. Verses 19 through 24 are all about laying up treasures on earth instead of heaven, and how problematic that is. 
And that's interesting because a lot of the times when we hear verses 25 through 33, they're not within the context of money, right? They're within the context of our general anxieties. But if we actually read this verse here in context, you'll notice verse 25 starts with the word, therefore. Therefore. So because of all the things I have told you about riches, money, and possessions, do not be anxious. Whoa, that hits different. Do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you being anxious can add a single hour to his or her lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They will never toil nor spin like we do, right? Ratcheting up our anxieties. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And here comes the solution. Verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And all these things, food, water, clothing, shelter, will be added to you. Jesus' solution to our problem of stuff is seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And everything we could ever want would come. Everything hinges upon keeping the first thing first here. Nothing can come before the kingdom, not even our desire for stuff. Soren Kierkegaard reflects on how we are to pursue the kingdom of God in light of this passage. And I find his reflection extremely helpful because sometimes when we hear something like seek first the kingdom of God, we were like, well, how do I do that, right? Back to my earlier question, do I just sit around and pray all day not worrying? Here's what he says. He poses some hypothetical questions and then answers them. He says, should a person get a suitable job in order to exert a virtuous influence? His answer, no. We must first seek the kingdom of God. Well, then should we give away all our money and feed the poor? Again, the answer, no. We must first seek the kingdom of God. Well, then perhaps we are to go out and preach this truth to all the world to seek first the kingdom of God. And once again, the answer is a resounding no. We are first individually to seek 
the kingdom of God. Kierkegaard concludes by saying, then in a certain sense, it is nothing I shall do. Yes, certainly in a certain sense, it is nothing. Become nothing before God. Learn to keep silent. In this silence is the beginning, which is first to seek the kingdom of God. Seeking first the kingdom produces an inward reality where God truly rules our hearts and an outward reality in which we realize we need very little and give very freely. And this is why we have spent the last four weeks on this in the wilderness season, specifically on the practices of fasting, prayer, silence, and solitude, because first we become nothing. As we seek the kingdom of God, first we focus on that inward reality as we lay ourselves before our king. But as mentioned earlier, we can't just focus on the inward. We must start there, right, first. But we can't just focus on the inward. We actually have to address the outward as well because Jesus cared very much about our physical possessions. So before I talk about the outward, I want to give just a quick aside. I think it's a misnomer or a myth that many of us have believed that Jesus is anti-stuff. Like stuff inherently equals wrong. And that's simply not the case. First and foremost, because Jesus chose to come to this earth in a physical body in need of food, water, shelter, and clothing. Secondly, he was a carpenter who crafted beautiful things for people that added value to their life. He also frequently ate and drank with the wealthiest of people at dinners during his ministry. Jesus was not anti-stuff, but as evidenced from his teachings, Jesus was keenly aware of how interconnected the outward stuff is to our inward hearts. And so we have to ask the question, how do we approach stuff as Jesus would? And we can find our answer in the ancient practice of Christian simplicity. Christian simplicity, as defined by Richard Foster and Mark Scandrett, is an inward reality that can be seen in an outward lifestyle. Note, we start with the inward. Seek first the kingdom of God that can be seen in an outward lifestyle or choosing to leverage time, money, talents, and possessions towards what matters most. The goal of Christian simplicity is not simply to declutter your closet or your garage as modern day minimalism or Marie Kondo have told us. Not knocking against any of those things. They are wonderful. I think we can learn a lot from the modern day minimalism movement. But Christian simplicity at its core exists to declutter your life. Not just your garage, not just your closet, not just your house, to declutter your life. 
to clear away the never-ending stream of distractions that increase and ratchet up our anxieties, that numb our minds and cause us to forget what really matters in life. This is Christian simplicity. Worship team, if you would go ahead and join me. In the last few minutes that we have, I want to give four suggested practices or rhythms to incorporate into your life as you pursue Christian simplicity. But before I do that, I just want to say, Alex and I, we've been practicing this for about three years now. We've been on the journey of Christian simplicity. And let me just say, we are not perfect at it at all. In fact, yesterday, before I practiced the sermon, I bought a new pair of pajamas and literally had the thought as I was like doing the sermon, like, man, did I really need the new pair of pajamas that I just bought? All that being said, we are not perfect, but I will say this, the amount of freedom that has come from just little practices that we've integrated into our life and our rhythms towards Christian simplicity has been a game changer. If we really believe Jesus, that more stuff does not equal more happiness, won't we find more happiness in him without it? And Alex not only Alex and I not only believe this, but we felt it and we've lived it. And it's a bizarre experience because when you start out doing it, you're like, this cannot be right. This cannot be right. It's almost as if we go through a detox phase, right? Because we've been told over and over and over and over again our entire lives that more stuff equals more happiness. And so as I broach these four practices, I just want to encourage you, this is a journey. It's not a once and done thing. These are a few just very practical, very simple things that you could incorporate into your own life as we work towards Christian simplicity and wholeness in Christ. Right? Seeking first the kingdom of God. The first practice, think before you buy. Think before you buy. Ask yourself the question, what is the true cost of this item? Think about the cost to clean, repair, insure, finance that particular thing. And more likely than not, it will be much more than the ticket price. How much time are you willing to invest in owning that item? How will you use it? Will it add value to your life and help you enjoy God's creation more? Or will it distract you from what really matters? God's kingdom. And this applies to more than just big ticket items. Uh, Brooke, she's a member of our community and also our microchurch. Um, her and Nate both live this out so well. And uh, she has a blog. She'll have to ask her to remind, I don't remember the title of it, but you're gonna have to ask her later so that you can subscribe to this blog because it's great. And she specifically talks about how when it comes to purchasing new items of clothing, you need to think, am I willing to repair this item? Like when inevitably there's like a seam that's broken, am I willing to take out the needle and the thread and repair it? Am I willing to sew the button back on? Am I willing to take this pair of boots and go get the soles fixed? Am I willing to repair this item? 
For some of you who never feel like you can keep caught up on laundry, dare I suggest owning less clothes? Number two, get into the habit of giving things away. Jesus says it is more blessed to give than receive. And as you journey towards simplicity in your life, I bet you're going to have a whole lot of things to give away. And not only that, you're going to find that you have a whole lot more money to share with those who really need it. So one, we think before we buy. Two, get into the habit of giving things away. And three, live by a budget. I know the last thing that you want to hear from your pastor is financial advice. I get it, okay? And if we're being honest, that has been abused so much, right, in previous church experiences. But I would be remiss to not talk about this because Jesus talks about it so much in the scriptures. And here's the thing, budgets are not just good things to use for savings or staying out of debt. They're actually a way to help us make sure we are stewarding our treasures well. Like, are my treasures going to the right place? If everything I own is truly Jesus's, am I using it well? Jesus warns us in Matthew chapter 6 that often we squander our things on stuff that moths and rusts, right? Squander our money on those things asking ourselves the question, how do we spend our treasures here on earth? Number four, cultivate a deep appreciation for the little things. A cup of coffee in the morning, hot tea on a cold day, a stroll in the park, the sunset, a good conversation with a friend, a home-cooked meal, the simple things in life, ones that don't require a whole lot of money, a whole lot of extravagance, but bring so much joy. How can we simply appreciate the little things, things that God has gifted us through his creation? What if we became a community that lived in the simplicity of Jesus? Our hearts unbound, liberated by the hold that stuff can have on us. Instead of being uptight, anxious, stressed by the pursuit of more, we lived unhurried, light, and joy-filled lives as the people of God in our city. Doesn't that sound beautiful? And it all starts by seeking first the kingdom of God. May our outward acts of Christian simplicity change the inward reality of our heart. And may our inward reality turn right back around and change what's outside. After all, isn't that what Lent is all about, right? Get rid of more. Seeking first the kingdom of God, making more room for Jesus so that our lives can be ordered by him and his kingdom. I think St. Francis de Sale, he provides a perfect summary to my sermon today and this talk. He says, very simply, 
in everything, love simplicity. In everything, may we love simplicity. Let us pray. God, I recognize that this is not the coolest of sermons or the most fun talk to have. But I also recognize it's but a very small amount of pressure and dysfunction that you understood, experienced, and taught on in your ministry. Lord, you are so concerned with the trajectory of our heart the hold that all sorts of things have on it. And in a society where we're constantly bombarded and told over and over and over again that we need blank to be happy, Lord, help us. We feel desperate as we receive the temptation day in and day out to just one more. Or this task feels impossible, that we, but we know through you it can be possible. So God, begin to change our hearts in this moment. Begin to slowly untangle the snare that's captured our heart. Remind us of your goodness, of your beauty, of your kingdom as we work to demonstrate it here on earth. May our lives reflect an inward reality where we need very little and we give very freely. Amen. to the Midtown Church Weekly Podcast. To find out more or to join a church gathering, check out our website at midtownkc.church.